This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by MLB at Bat. Yankees baseball is always live with MLB at Bat. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download MLB at Bat today in the Apple App Store or Google Play. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. It is our last episode before we really, really enter the holiday season, so we're going to get into some things that we're thankful for this episode. We're going to get into a few wish list items, maybe, as we start you know, putting together our lists. My name is John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. With me right now, we have our senior editor, Jake Krenkschreifels. What's going on? You tell me, man. You've been traveling a little bit lately? I have. I've been in the South. I've been to Alabama. I've been to South Carolina. Got a lot of good barbecue in me this last week, so I, uh, I need to work on my diet and my exercise a little bit more over the next couple of weeks before Thanksgiving and I start scarfing again. I, I noticed that a lot of people kind of felt like, you know, President Trump goes to Alabama. They lose for the first time in, what was it, 31 home games? Yeah, something like that. I think what's bad. getting ignored a little bit here is that you <laughs> went there and the same thing happened. So are we sure it's not your fault? I can't confirm if it's my fault yet. It's probably your fault. Okay, so we, we, we agree on this much at least. But it was a nice run for them while it lasted. It was. It was. But, you know, again, uh, an actual Yankee coming into the South is a problematic in some ways, I guess you and, could say. So I'm sorry to all the Crimson Tide fans, to Alabama Nation down there. I think so far... Personally, this is just a great episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast. <laughs> I, I think you're starting to get a glimpse, perhaps, at what the offseason is like over here in the Bronx. <laughs> we talk about football uh, probably a little bit more than normal uh, during the baseball season. But, you know, it, it's not that it's entirely disconnected in some ways because last weekend was the Michigan-Michigan State game. I'm a Michigan grad. I no- happened to notice on a DJ LeMahieu's Instagram that he was in town for it. You know, as you might imagine, in an extremely passion, impassioned and you know emotional post that he put up there, really <laughs> letting the fans in on all of his thoughts in the moment of watching Michigan and Michigan State play hockey together. Well, I'm sure he was more excited about the fact that Joe Burrow took over Alabama in Tuscaloosa than he was anything about Michigan, Michigan State. Great point. Let's talk about all of DJ LeMahieu's interests outside of <laughs> Yeah, we can uh, run down the list on our fingers, probably. I'm just going to say, if last year's hot stove is any indication, if you think this is bad right now, you do not want to be listening to us come January. <laughs> That's not true. You definitely want to be listening to us come January. Obviously, we're, we're joking, but things things are a little quiet here right now. But that does actually make it the perfect time to remind you, if you're listening, to please send us letters to podcast at yankees.com. For our upcoming holiday mailbag issue, we would love to be able to answer any questions you have to go over some topics that you choose. I personally think, you know, when we go back to the very beginning, when we started this podcast, one of my goals was, I'm a sucker for behind the scenes things, to really explain the process of how the stories get assigned, how they get written, what choices we're making as writers. My favorite segments that we do in this is when we really get deep into the granular details of how this stuff comes together, not just rehashing what we already wrote. The mailbag stuff is a great time for if you do have questions like that about specific things or about general things to send them over. So please email us any questions you have, podcast at yankees.com. Any questions that we use in the episode, will um, that that person will get a voucher for two free tickets to a 2020 game. So there's really no reason not to email us. That's a lot of incentive there. I think so. 
And it's the holiday season, meaning you can it's present. It's the holiday season. It's the holiday season. <laughs> so, Andy Williams uh, mimicking aside, uh, it would be a great gift to say, hey, uh, I don't have your present for you now, but in April or May, you're going to a Yankees game courtesy of me because I sent a letter into Yankees magazine podcast. See how easy it is? Jake, Jake's got Jake's got your holiday shopping <laughs> done for you. Um, so one other thing, uh, the second segment that we do here today, we're going to have you know MLB.com Yankees insider Brian Hoke on. He's going to kind of give us a rundown on where things stand really heading into the hot stove season, um, which is still in its obviously very early stages. Maybe talk a little bit about just some final thoughts on the 2019 season and get you ready for you know, how to approach the next few months. I, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying it already. I'm going to be saying it a lot in the next couple weeks and months. Spring training, believe it or not, is going to be here sooner than you think. This stuff goes a little quicker now, especially when the Yankees are alive late into the postseason. You know, come mid-January, you're going to start hearing about players who are already in Tampa and things like that. So, you know, there's not really as much downtime as you might think it is, even if it feels like it when the hot stove leak moves slowly. But it's going to be great to talk to Brian about some of the things you can all look forward to. In the meantime, Jake, what does your family do for Thanksgiving? Well, I usually go to my uh, aunt's house, and she will host us uh, for on, on my mom, my mom's sister. She'll host us for a nice big turkey dinner, and uh, you know it's pretty quiet, and we we just enjoy each other's company and just have a lot of food. I, I always say, and it's really important to get into a you know religious criticism here on the Yankees Magazine podcast. <laughs> I really mean this sincerely. That if you are not Jewish. You have absolutely no understanding of how great Thanksgiving is. Thanksgiving being just this one time when you get to have a holiday with no religious obligations whatsoever. (laughs) Um, You don't have to do anything. You don't have to refrain from anything. It's just like the perfect holiday. You can have football on in the background and nobody's biting your head off for why the volume's too loud. it 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 is the greatest holiday. I think everyone probably should agree it's the greatest holiday. But man, if you want to see how great it is, just give judaism a year a a chance for a year well and and for me this is this is actually special because this will be the first time i'm actually home for thanksgiving uh, in at least three years because in my previous job with the redskins we were always playing at dallas or we even host i think they even hosted one against the giants so there's been a uh, consistent pattern of me missing thanksgiving the last three years and although jerry jones makes great turkey dinners and i will tell you the press box at AT&T Stadium is incredible, has incredible food. Um, I will be happy to be home and not uh, not in some stadium press box watching the Redskins lose. So you've heard what Jake has to be thankful for this year. Why don't we maybe just talk a little bit about the Yankees on this podcast and and kind of maybe give our year in review of the things that we're thankful for this year. And, you know, I'm going to kick things off for you here. I am thankful for Canada and other cold weather places <laughs> and particularly the state of Wisconsin because one of the more interesting and unique things I got to do this year was go ice fishing with James Paxton because we hilariously thought that you know he's from Canada lives in Wisconsin you know let's get into his element and go ice fishing and of course we got out there and he had never been ice fishing and <laughs> it ended up just being so much fun so funny I will never forget the moment when like he you know, our new big pitcher that we had just traded for um, <laughs> when he's holding this auger to <laughs> cut a hole in the ice. And I'm sitting there making sure that we get the perfect pictures of it and that I'm recording it for in my own mind to remember forever. But also, like, I really hope this guy doesn't get hurt right because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's on me if it happens. It's like one of those publicists who suggests to a, a glossy magazine that their actor, you know, or celebrity uh, client goes to some weird uh, exotic thing, and and you just hope that they end up liking it, and the writer ends up writing something that's equally fun about it. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and honestly, he he could not have been a better sport. I mean, as I think Yankees fans got to see him this year, and as certainly we all got to know him a little bit better. You know, it's funny looking back on it. He's just the most mild-mannered and, you know, easygoing guy and just ni- just genuinely nice also. I mean, and I'll, I'll always remember, you know, I'm I, whenever I'm with a player in these situations, I'm always, like, very conscious of, like, the cock and my watch and, you know, making sure. And, 
you know, we had driven this guy like an hour and a half away from where he lived. And it was, a, I think it was a Friday evening or Friday afternoon when we started. Sun was down by the end of it. It's like 30 degrees on this lake in Little Potato Lake in <laughs> Wisconsin. But at one point I said to him, like, hey, man, like, we're good. Like, you can take off whenever he had driven separately and he's like no i want to i want to catch a few more fish and he's like all right this guy is going to be fun to have around here for the year yeah so he got into it the country of canada and cold weather states such as wisconsin that's uh number one on my list (laughs) well uh for me i I know i came into the season halfway point or so a little bit later and we already talked about this so before i i throw maybe a little bit more jokey stuff into this i do want to start with the person that we already mentioned dj lemayhew I think the Yankees, as an organization, and their fans are extremely grateful for DJ LeMahieu this past year and for the contract that uh, not many people realized was about as good as you could get. I don't even I, – I think I was just when, – when, when that happened, I, I thought, well, all right, they get a mid-level utility infielder. I guess that's fine, but is he going to start – you know, it just didn't. I think a lot of people said this doesn't really make a lot of sense. They already have depth everywhere else, and they don't really. This doesn't really help them offensively that well. Well, obviously everybody was wrong, and you know, you, you, you talk about Silver Slugger, Gold Glove finalist, fourth in the MVP voting. That doesn't spell two years, twenty some million dollar contract. So what they got from him, and I and I just was marveling almost every at bat. It just seemed like, well, DJ Mayhu single up the middle, or DJ Mayhu walks or does something incredible in the field. There was just a never a game that I could recall where he was just absent from the game or the box score. As Gary Sanchez told me, uno hit, dos hit, tres hit, cuatro hit. <laughs> La, and especially, la, la machina. <laughs> especially in this era of extreme slugging and true outcomes, this is a guy that really was valued for his contact, for line drives and trying to get on base as much as possible and slapping it to right field. And I, I just feel like there may I, – I don't know if this will start a trend, but there may be some reverse – psychology now in front offices where they go well now now we're lacking a lot of those guys at this time in the roster but isn't that going to end up being the story of the entire season and particularly the postseason i mean i i don't know how you know i'm obviously neither one of us is in the baseball operations war room right now and you don't want to make too many judgments off a small sample of like one seven game series or really just one postseason or even one season Mm -hmm. but Look, I mean, everything that we thought that we had figured out about baseball and the way to build a baseball team, you know, the Nationals and Astros kind of like tore apart in the Mm -hmm. World Series. And suddenly it was like, oh, right, when you have a dominant starting pitcher who can go eight innings, actually, that's a way to win, too. It's less sustainable. It's less less repeatable, probably, than to find one of the four starting pitchers who can do what Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer, and Steven Strasburg did, although... I should obviously point out that two of those guys are free agents, but I think we spent a lot of years thinking that like we had outsmarted the game. And I think in a, in a sense, kind of the game came back and I don't mean us as in the Yankees. I mean, us as in baseball fans and baseball analysts. And I think in a sense, like the game came back to us this year. Yeah, I, I do too. I think that was a nice reminder that there are certain truisms in some, in, in some respects that will always stay the same. And whether that's trying to be uh, tweaked with garbage cans in, uh, in the lower bowels of the stadium, I don't know. But it's interesting. I, just, I do find that you look at the way that the Yankees really had built their club this year and DJ LeMahieu so vital to it and just bucking so many different kinds of trends. Nothing works without him in the lineup this year. Yeah. If you figure all the ways that they were able to, the whole next man up thing, you know, the key cog of that essentially is the one guy who was up pretty much the whole time. It was, it was the fact that he was always around and able to be anywhere that made the next man up stuff work because it meant that you didn't need to, immediately fill every hole with a much worse version of what you had there you kind of already had LeMayu could slide over and everything would kind of work as a result of that right John what's your next one so I'm going to go uh, I'm, I'm extraordinarily thankful to the bat rack in the visiting dugout in progressive <laughs> field in Cleveland I, I think that much of this year's joy would uh, not have been available to us if not for the fact that Brett Gardner in a 
fit of frustration through his helmet. It hit the bat rack, bounced into his face, split his lip open, which led him to decide that he could no longer throw his batting helmet. So in a need to get out his frustration in other means, he decided to just start banging the top of the, <laughs> the cathartic out. void. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, if it hadn't been for that, he might have just been, you know, quietly throwing helmets and we would have been none the wiser for it. And instead we got what is obviously the best moment in like sports media history, basically. It's a great is, alternate history. What if <laughs> the bat rack or what if the bat helmet didn't come back and immediately split his lip? Would he have continued that method of exhibiting his anger? It's, you know, it's a great question. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, extreme, I'm extremely thankful for that. Honestly, I know that it's not something that we're probably supposed to laugh and talk about too much. And I know that Aaron Boone's uncomfortable with it and all, all these things, but we live in a really fun time of access to everything that happens in the baseball diamond. And obviously some of that we're seeing for the worst right now with some of these questions going on about the science dealing, whatever, but this hot mic generation that um, John boy capitalized on so much. I will never forget just watching that video over and over and over again, over the course of a day and laughing even harder each time, just the perfect captioning boom being so perfect. I loved it. I, I'm grateful for the people who are able to do things like that and give us content to enjoy because it sure is fun. So, Well, and in tandem to that, I also think just the memorabilia and merchandise and all the stuff that came out of Savages in the Box was so needed for a team that didn't have its stars reliably there on the field every single day and was its own marketing campaign. Because when you don't have Giancarlo, when you don't have Aaron Judge for extended periods of time, when you don't have these guys rallying Yankees fans. You needed something else to really get people to embrace this team. And also, I just don't really recall Yankees teams ever needing that. The pinstripes is the brand, and that's always been the brand. But the fact that, you know, you could even get some casual fans really invested in Aaron Boone this year and and really kind of enjoying how the Yankees and, and Brett Garner kind of took this somewhere. I think that was a lot of fun, and I think that a lot of people were thankful that they could give them something to cheer about and kind of exude on a day-to-day basis that wasn't just player name or we're the Yankees, we have 27 championships. It was something really fun and, and present about that this year. That is well said. Give, give us your number two. So we, we've gone through the appetizer here. You know, we're, yeah. we're getting closer to the main course, although but thanks, it's all the we main We might course. have actually started with the main course, and now we're getting closer to the dessert here. But how about this? How about I'm thankful for the Baltimore Orioles this year? Does that mean I have to cross out number three on my list? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, 16 consecutive wins against them this season. I don't recall uh, another team's dominance like this uh, too recently, especially for the Yankees. I don't think this has ever really been done before. So that was fun to watch in a, in a kind of masochistic way, maybe at the end, because I just felt bad for the Orioles too. And some, <laughs> you know, you're, you're sorry. I shouldn't laugh. Well, it's tough. I, this is a team that didn't have really anybody besides Trey Mancini really as a, as a strong major league player. And so you're playing effectively a quadruple a team in a John, lot of ways. John means. Wow. <laughs> Shots fired. Yes, I apologize to any Orioles fans that take offense <laughs> to this, but I do think that 16 wins against any opponent is kind of amazing and pretty unprecedented. So kind of fun and also certainly helped the Yankees in the standings a lot this year. I think it, I think it's a great call. I, I did have, you know, <laughs> a, a variation on the Orioles, of the Orioles on my list. I will. Um, my specific thing that I was thankful for was the glass window separating the press box where the writers sit from the visiting announcer, TV announcer booth, which allowed me the opportunity every time we played the Orioles and Gleyber Torres came up to just focus my eyes directly on Gary Thorne. Incredible, <laughs> incredible individual season. It was really, Orioles. really an under, I mean, his war in the broadcast booth this year for every Gleyber <laughs> Torres at bat was just extraordinary. Um, but no, like you said, it, it was just incredible to watch the way that the team as a whole but obviously, Glaber. I mean, I've never seen yeah. just one player basically just you know. Kick and actually, team I would face. argue that Camden Yards was the launching pad for a lot of other players to get That's in on true. the act. Mike Talkman, Mike Ford, uh, those guys made their names and, and kind of got their uh, bones a little bit there. So that was that was also pretty fun to see. Just you get to have players that are marginalized in terms of the roster actually feel like they're a part of the team and contributing in a really productive way. And again, against a team that's really 
lowly at this point, but that was still cool to see. It was it was it was something. Um, I don't think I don't think we can ever expect to see that level of <laughs> dominance again. But it was cool to watch. And it was just, it was just cool. That it was Glaber, you know, the youth of this team. A lot of these players still even seem a little younger than they actually are, but because they've been around for a while. But Glaber actually is just so young still. And, right. I mean, it's just impossible to watch him and not wonder like what the ceiling is on this guy. The Yankees could have won every game this year if. Didi Gregorius only faced Twins pitching, and Glaber only faced <laughs> Orioles pitching. <laughs> those, those two, I've, I was just thinking about Didi in that sense too, because even in even in the playoffs too, he had some big moments. Of course, with the, with the Grand Slam too. So you know, we kind of shared that one. Yet another one. I've got one more. It's also maybe on the surface a little silly, but because I wrote a, a nice feature on what it's like to work a doubleheader. I felt it's important to really credit the groundskeepers here and the grounds crew because what they do, especially in the summer when you've got NYCFC sharing the stadium with the Yankees, their work is incredible and they go morning till sunset. It's really a testament to just Danny Cunningham and, and all the guys there because I've had a chance to just watch just, you know, from from up above, little work breaks here and there, and you just see the guys working endlessly. I'm putting the trash bags on the field, and then you got to put the, the, the sod back on top of the dirt, and you got to do all this extra work just to do this soccer game. Then you take that off. you got to get ready for the next homestand. Right now they're preparing for football. They had the Dartmouth-Princeton game here. they got the pinstripe bowl coming up. It just doesn't end for them. So an incredible season already for, for what they've done, and they got another big game coming up. God, I couldn't piggyback on that harder enough. i got to thank them for sure. Really all the support staff in this entire place. John, did you have any last ones and parting thoughts? I do have one more, and and I feel a little bad because I've kind of been jokey and having fun with this, and this one's actually pretty serious. But I'm enormously thankful for Brian Cashman and the Yankees' ownership. And it's funny, you know, I, I was thinking about this actually literally last night, and I don't even remember why it was that I was thinking about it. I think, honestly, it was that I was going through a grocery list in my notes program in my phone, and I came across the notes that I had taken from what was one of the most difficult days that I can remember at this ballpark, which is when Cashman, the day before the 2015 wildcard game, had to come down and talk about CC uh, checking himself, CC's Matthew checking himself into rehab. And, you know, we've had a couple of years about now, we know how the story ended. And I've been very clear on this podcast over the years about, you know, the way I feel about CC and how fortunate I feel to have been able to tell a lot of his story. But looking back at it last night, and again, it's just random that it was last night. I'm just so grateful for the way the team handled that. And I'm, and I, and I don't know what it was like behind the scenes. And I don't know, I'm sure it was difficult. And you know, you had a pitcher who granted wasn't going to pitch that game, but if the Yankees won, you would have certainly had him in the rotation. Suddenly he's not there. And I just went was going through the notes and, you know, the, the humanity with which Cashman was talking about the situation. I think it made such a difference in terms of the way that CC got to spend his last seasons of his career here after that. I think there was a lot on the line in that moment where if the wrong thing was said or the overly emotional thing was said or the overly competitive thing was said, it could have just changed the fans' relationship with CC. It could have changed CC's relationship with the team. It could have changed... For a lot of people who may be suffering from that same kind of alcohol use disorder or anything like that, it could have changed the way they viewed themselves and possibly hurt themselves. I don't know what kind of level of training or help Cashman got before he came down and addressed the media that day, but it, like I said, I keep repeating just the humanity of it and the sense of CeCe's a person first and he's a member of the family and that's the only thing we care about right now. We couldn't care less about this, how this impacts you know, our playoff rotation and someone we love said he needed help and we need to give him help. I'm so grateful for everything that happened after the fact in terms of the way that I was able to get closer with CC and his family and I think help them but also help our readers for both sides to get to know each other. It's a weird thing to bring up here at the end of 2019 but I just I I went back just to how emotional and how difficult that day was and how well the Yankees handled it. And I, and, I, and I truly, truly do think that lives were changed by the Yankees handling that correctly that day. Well, to bring it even into 
more present relief, I guess you could say. Uh, Brian Cashman also just recently uh, participating in the Covenant House Sleepout, which, again, kind of shows a little bit more of the empathy and the humanity that a lot of people don't think the Yankees have or maybe that don't think that a lot of executives have when, you know, in this Bronx community, there are a lot of people that don't go home at night. And uh, I think it was pretty cool to see a lot of people at Yankee Stadium kind of experience what it was like to live a night outside and just have to get and try to sleep through that and you know that's such a great point to bring up in this moment because the other thing i wanted to talk about in the same vein as baseball gets more analytical obviously a lot of times when you talk to cashman about a move he made and about a pitcher this pitcher or this batter and maybe you need to kind of like watch out sometimes because it sounds like he's talking about an asset as opposed to a person but man I, i got i gotta say and i'm saying this you have to take my word for it, not as a Yankees employee, but as someone who's just been around here. This team is very lucky to have people in high positions who are using their platform for things that they actually do care about. The other example, you know, you brought up a great one with Covenant House, which Cashman has always been so incredibly supportive of, sleeping out long before the Yankees were involved in doing a big thing at Yankee Stadium when he was just doing it as a prominent person in the community and not the Yankees GM. But I also go back to the Stonewall stuff this year mm-hmm. and the way that the team decided and specifically Cashman and Gene Afterman decided that they were going to give up full days of their time in, you know, in May and June when it's kind of pretty busy around here. And every one of those interviews that the team did for the Yankees Stonewall Scholars, uh, Brian and Gene were in on the interviews. They, they specifically sat in there and interviewed these kids. And the message that sends just that, you know, these executives of this team are choosing to make this a part of their lives. And I, I just don't, I, it's so hard to, you know, you want to make sure that you, you know what you're listening to right now. You're listening to the Yankees magazine podcast where I'm recording this in Yankee stadium. So make it what you will. Like I said, you just have to take my word for it, that these aren't people who are doing something that they're being told to do, or because, you know, the team gets together and decides these are our seven initiatives this year that we care about. So make sure you care about them rather one thing that I, I truly find when you walk around this building is there's um, flexibility and allowance to make the things that you care about to take them on. And I think that Cashman and Gene and their entire staff and certainly the Steinbrenners also are just great models in that for how you can be involved in causes that are important to you and, and use your platform to make big differences. It's well said. And I've got to glimpse a little bit of that in my time here so far and i'm sure i'll see more of it in the in the months to come so this got it's kind of a little sappy <laughs> I <don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i thought we were going for a little bit more jokey answers at the end but i guess mm-hmm. we uh, we kind of rounded it off with uh, something a little bit more solemn but. well sorry <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we're thankful for so it's i'm thankful everything. for the deli up the block i mean that place they, they make a great sandwich up there too they, i'm not just like Postmates delivery people that come to the stadium every day and help us out with lunch. Every so often they actually find their way to gate two without calling four <laughs> times. And I'm just so grateful for that. So 2019, thank you for that. Seriously though, Jake, I'm thankful for you. You've done such great work since you got here. I can't wait to see what uh 2020 holds for you. Obviously we're not there yet. We still do have quite a bit of time to uh, get ready for the 2020 season, but I obviously, and I can't, you know, make this point enough. I am so grateful for the readers, the listeners, everyone like that who allows us to keep doing this. You know, it's uh, not the world's best time in the media industry right now. But those of you who subscribe, those of you who buy the magazine, you know, you're you're feeding my children. <laughs> I'm joking about that, but you you're it, it's really meaningful to get to do this stuff for um, fans who care so much, and we are lucky that we get to write with the depth we write that. You know, we don't have to worry about war and we don't have to write about you know sickness for the most part. We get to write about baseball, but we're lucky that we get people to read us. So with that, we're going to take a break and when we come back, we're going to get a little bit more on topic and I'll have my conversation with Brian Ho. Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. The Yankees Magazine Podcast is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription includes MLB at Bat Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball on your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. 
And welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I am here right now with, on the phone, Brian Hoke. Brian is the Yankees writer for MLB.com. He's also the author of two books, the recent Mission 27 about the 2009 Yanks and Baby Bombers, which is about, as you might imagine, the young Yankees. Brian, how you doing? I'm glad, I, I remember to do the plug this time. I'm very proud of myself. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's great. So how, how are things looking with this? We have a paperback coming, I imagine, on Mission 27? I'm hoping so, yeah. No, uh, the reception was terrific. They sold out the first run very quickly, and I think um, that speaks to how special of a year that was for Yankee fans in 2009. I mean, there was so much going on with the closing of the old ballpark, the opening of the new one. You had a cast of characters. It was a superstar team. Who who knew among us that that was going to be the last time we saw Derek Jeter raise the World Series trophy, Mariano Rivera, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, the only time we'd see Alex Rodriguez do it. Uh, they opened this beautiful new ballpark and they celebrated championship. And as it turns out, 10 years later, here we are still waiting for the next one. So I, I think that it's a season that as time has gone on, has grown more special to Yankee fans, because to be honest with you, and you were probably the same way when they won in 2009, I thought, well, that's great, and, you know, that's what they were supposed to do. You know, that's why they brought in CeCe Sabathia, A.J. Burnett, Mark Deshera, and they'll probably win again in 2010 or 2011, 2012, and as it turned out, it didn't happen, and the core four retired, and uh, here we are. So I think that as t- it probably didn't get its proper due at the time um, as a standalone season, and hopefully Mark Feinstein and I were able to do it justice here in this book. It's a terrific book, and, and I really like that you just brought that up because, you know, I, I always kind of go back to 2011 and 2012, and granted, you know, those weren't like the best Yankees teams, those weren't, those weren't the most exciting Yankees teams, but one thing that stood, or sorry, 2010, 2011, I should say, um, one thing that stood out was just empty seats in playoff games. It got a little boring. The Yankees just kind of, you know, there was still this kind of idea that just this was what the Yankees did was they went to the playoffs and that I to me I feel like over the last few years that's been the most special part, you know, starting really in 2017 with just this idea of, you know, those playoff games just rocking again, just absolutely rocking. And I mean, you saw it. One of my favorite moments of this year, I'll talk about some of your favorite moments. One of my favorite moments of this year is, you know, Paxton shooing Boone away and the way the crowd received him. You know, it was the last game that the fans got to see at the stadium this year, but it was just such a special moment. Yeah, and I think that spoke volumes about James Paxton in a big situation. It should make Yankee fans feel good about having him at the top of the rotation next season. I don't know if he's going to be a one or two or three. It doesn't really matter. What matters is he can deliver in a big game. And, yeah, certainly I think that missing the playoffs a couple of times in 2013 and 2014, they finally get back to that wild card game. Um, I think that Yankee fans – Especially in 17, because that team was not supposed to do much. You know, going into the season, a lot of people talked about that being possibly a 500 team. And they they had these young guys come in, and we could talk about, you know, the Baby Bombers, but obviously Aaron Judge uh, wins Rookie of the Year, hits 52 home runs. Luis Severino is pitching great. You know, Gary Sanchez is looks like a force behind the plate. And they, they've really got this young core coming up of guys that they can really dream on. Uh, as opposed to you were just getting done phasing out the A-Rods and the Mark Teixeiras of the world, guys who signed those big deals and were on the back end of that. So that was an exciting time. You remember that wild card game in 2017, that that first inning? Uh, that place was electric. It was rocking. You could feel that building shaking, and, and that went on uh, through the DS and into the ALCS. So that was a really special season to be around, and you got that same vibe in 2019 that something matched magical was happening with this team you know they came over they overcame so many injuries uh they were able to to withstand having 30 guys on the injured list which was just ridiculous and you know they they almost got there they they finished two wins shy of getting to the promised land and um you know unfortunately for the yankees it ended again in houston but as a yankee fan if you're looking back right now you have a lot to be proud about and uh, a lot to look forward to in 2020 so, you know, you kind of touched on something I want to get to. It's far enough in the past at this point that it almost seems weird still asking this. But, I mean, on this day that we start moving really into 2020, it feels like with every team releasing, you know, their 40-man roster moves in, in advance of the Rule 5 draft. 
how do you think history is going to remember the 2019 Yankees? That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it in those terms. I mean, history, I think, will look at them as a team that didn't get to the promised land, didn't get, didn't achieve its goal. You know, that's what Aaron Judge said the, the last day in Houston, said we didn't win the World Series, so it was a failure. And I think that that's a little harsh, but there's a lot of echoes of Derek Jeter in that and where that came from before Derek was George Steinbrenner. And so I think that that has to be the the mission plan there, the outline that the battle cry coming from uh, 161st Street is it's the World Series or a failure. So then here's what I, here's what I want to know from you then. And, and I'm sorry to come, this is something that I always it, it, it really sticks with me. I, I, I think two things at the same time. I think that, number one, Aaron Judge is right to feel that way. Um, that's how he's supposed to feel, you know, not just as a baseball player, but, yeah, as, you know, the continuing lineage from, you know, Derek Jeter and before that, whatever. I don't think the fans should feel that way, though. And, and, I, and I think that it's okay for the fans and the players to have a different response to the season. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that a, a fan can certainly look back at, you know, if they went to 10 or 15 games and it was a fun team and an enjoyable team to, to watch, and you, you can enjoy that and think that obviously there were so many great moments and the fact that they overcame so much adversary, uh, adversity last year, this past year, I mean, and, uh, you know, a farewell to CeCe Sabathia. I think there will be a lot of reasons to remember 2019 positively, but I think for a fan base that is so accustomed to seeing, expecting this team to be World Series champions, and maybe, look, we all got spoiled by the late 90s, early 2000s, where the Yankees were in the World Series every single year, and it was almost like a birthright, and four World Series in five years, and then, you know, you throw in a couple of pennants in there, too. I, I think that the bar is set so impossibly high that if the Yankees aren't in the World Series every year, there is a segment of the fan base that's going to be disappointed and call the season a failure. And I, I think that for Judge and other guys in that room, I think they should be immensely disappointed because they didn't get where they wanted to be. But I think um, as time goes on, they'll look back. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of reasons to look back positively on 2019, but I think there's even more that can vault them into 2020 and really uh, kind of solidify that mindset toward next year. Not to say that this is going to become a major part of what we're you know discussing in the Bronx right now, but you know there, there is one story in baseball that's dominating so much of the attention right now, and that's the stuff going on, I guess, behind the Astros dugout. Sure. You know, when, when you're talking to whether it's Yankees executives or you know, uniform personnel, what are you hearing about their thoughts right now? Um, so far, it has been a kind of a tight-lipped, we'll let Major League Baseball handle it, and then we'll have something to say about it. But I, I think that what you've seen just from the players posting on social media, I know Aaron Judge, the athletic story came out, he, he responded something along the lines of what, you know, with you know, a bunch of exclamation points and question marks. And uh, Luis Sessa, Luis Severino posted similar things. And look, read between the lines. These guys are pissed. And they should be. You know, I, I think that the fact that there had been these whispers around the game for a while about how the Astros were pushing the envelope and doing things a little outside the lines. And to read it there in print and to have Mike Fires attach his name to it, that kind of broke the dam. And being either the Yankees or the Dodgers in 2017 and looking back at that and saying, hey, wait a second, I'm assuming that the Yankees and Dodgers were doing it clean and were not using cameras or anything of that ilk. But, you know, if that's the case, certainly they, they look back and say, hey, wait a second, you know, maybe we should have won that World Series. Maybe it could have just as easily gone the other way, you know. If you turn those cameras off, does it change the outcome of that series? I don't know. but And we'll never know because you can't get the guys back on the field to replay it. But hey, if I'm a Yankee, I'm pissed right now about that. And, yeah, I, I guess we're all just kind of waiting to see how MLB will handle it in the end. Like I said, that's not uh, the biggest topic we have here. The biggest topic we have here is, you know, we know that you're a great writer. We know that you've written excellent books. We have yet to see you be the Yankees general manager. So assuming, assuming you were the Yankees general manager – how would you approach this offseason? What would be your you know, 30,000-foot model for what you wanted to do and prioritize? I mean, it's so easy for me to say go and throw a boatload of money on Garrett Cole and just follow the CC Sabathia playbook from 08, 09 and, and just you know, dump a wheelbarrow of money on his doorstep and hope he takes it. Um, and maybe that is what they turn out to do. Um, but I think 
that is such a simplistic way of looking at what's going on and what Brian Cashman has to deal with and uh, what Hal Steinbrenner's limitations are as far as they don't want to go over that second luxury tax threshold. So I, to fit in a guy like Cole or whether it's going to be Steven Strasburg or a Zach Wheeler and still stay under that, you're going to have to trim somewhere. I don't see how you can give a starting pitcher 30 to $35 million a year and, and still stay under that number. Now, look, Hal may very well decide, the heck with it, blow past the second one. We've done it before. They can do it again, and, and they'll bail out later, and Garrett Cole's worth it. I mean, he's the great white whale of Brian Cashman's time as the GM. They drafted him, couldn't sign him. They tried to trade for him from Pittsburgh, couldn't get him. He instantly makes any of the 30 teams better. He's the starting pitcher that they didn't have when they were trying to bullpen their way through the postseason. I think just taking him off the Houston Astros makes the Yankees better if they're going to have to go head-to-head with Houston again. Now, if you can actually put him in pinstripes finally, I I think that's huge. That's got to be the number one way to go there. You know, there's obviously other issues you want to talk about. Are you bringing back Didi Gregorius? My gut says that they're going to let him walk or at least let him test free agency. I think that Brett Gardner comes back. I'm actually surprised that hasn't happened already. I'm sure they're working out the language on that. I, I would be very surprised if Brett winds up playing anywhere else next year. That's a heck of a start. Can they get Garrett Cole? Can they convince him to come to New York rather than go to Southern California or wherever he's going? Yeah, that's a big question in the offseason. And unfortunately... I don't think it's going to be resolved by the winter meetings. I don't think it's going to be resolved before early January. I think that Scott Boris knows what he's got. He's going to run out the clock, and uh, we're all going to be waiting a while on that big domino to fall. Well, we just learned literally while you were answering that about a few things that a few people who will not be on the 2020 Yankees, and one of them, Jacoby Ellsbury, who was just released, and uh, Greg Bird designated for assignment too. So that's uh, it's kind of just – Things change, and you know, one interesting thing when you look at this Yankees roster is that there were very few, you know, just crazy break the bank players on it at this moment. Very few guys who the Yankees just went out and clear outbid everybody. One of them was Jacoby Ellsbury, and you see that, you know, even if you even you know for all this for all the talk of go spend the money, go spend the money, you know, sometimes even when you do spend the money, it doesn't work. And I'm not suggesting that Garrett Cole is Jacoby Ellsbury in any way. It's just. You know, it, it, as you pointed out at the beginning there, you know, it's very easy for us all to say right now, go get Derek Cole and why not add Stephen Trasberg while you're doing it? But thing, things change. The only thing I would say, and, and, you know, this is not a slight on Jacoby because I, I honestly believe he wanted to play, just his body could not let him. I don't remember a clamor from the Yankee fan base to sign Ellsbury when he was a free agent. You're right. You're right. It wasn't that people were banging on Cashman's door saying, you've got to get Jacoby Ellsbury in center field. And I remember that they briefly had an offer on the table for Shin Su Chu that offseason. Obviously, that was the year that they didn't get Robbie Cano. And then so they kind of made a knee-jerk reaction to – Go get Ellsbury, go get Carlos Beltran, Brian McCann, if memory serves. I'm not sure exactly where the timeline falls on all that, but all those guys came on the roster the year that Robbie Cano left. And as it turns out, if you had a do-over, I don't know, maybe do you do you, do you sign Cano instead of Ellsbury, knowing what you know now? I'm not sure that you do, not to that deal anyway, not the 10-year deal that he wound up getting from Seattle. So um, certainly nobody's more fragile than a starting pitcher in, in today's game, so we could be looking back five years from now and saying, oh, man, it's a good thing the Yankees dodged that Garrett Cole bullet, or it could be the reverse. <laughs> That's the uh, the great mystery of everything. The Yankees have done so well playing around the margins um, in recent years and figuring out, finding the value and all that stuff. Last year, all the talk, you know, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, and it was, it was Patrick Corbin who got a World Series parade. And do you think that anything – in the short sample of seven games in that World Series, and if you want to extend it to the whole postseason, fine. But do you think that anything changes in analytics war rooms around Major League Baseball when you watch those two teams with those starting pitchers dominate in the World Series? Does that maybe change some of the paradigm of you know, how pitching staffs are being built? I think there's certainly ammunition there for people who have been 
beating the drum and going old school and saying you need those starting pitches. You can't bullpen your way to a World Series championship. And uh, look, the 2015 Kansas City Royals, they they are the yeah, exactly. prime example. But you look now and, and they're kind of an outlier in this whole deal and look if you have those elite stud starting pitchers i mean i like your chances in october i I do whether it's houston or washington you put any of those guys on that yankee team i think that we would have looked at the yankees as favorites too in in their respective series so i I think starting pitching still wins championships I, i really do believe that now look if you can't get an A1 starting pitcher, and there's only a, a few to go around, then you can certainly build from the back end and, and try and shorten the game that way, and that's what the Yankees have been pretty good at doing. I mean, I'll still put their bullpen up against anybody's in the league, especially now that they brought back Chapman. But even if they didn't bring back Chapman, I, I thought that they were still going to have a good bullpen, and we'll see what happens if they can bring back Dylan Batances and he can be that guy that he was, a four-time All-Star. I think that um, I, I'd certainly like to see Dylan come back. I don't know what his situation is going to be, but look, if you have to build from the ninth inning backward, you can certainly do it, but I still think the preferred way should be Get that stud starting pitcher who can turn a, a lineup over three times. You don't worry too much about him facing a lineup third time through. And and just roll with him because come October, you're going to want to have those big horses taking the ball. So for Brian Hoke, what's an offseason like these days, you know, other than an opportunity for, I guess, reconstructive knee surgery? How do you spend your time? I did do that. Yeah, that was fun. Um, <laughs> How are you feeling, by the way? Good, good, good. I mean, the doctor said he couldn't believe I waited this long. But And for people who don't know, I was every year the Yankees and the Red Sox media play in a game. We get to play one game at Yankee Stadium, one game at Fenway Park, which is awesome. I, I mean, you know, 10-year-old me would be thrilled the fact that he got to play right field at Yankee Stadium. The problem is this is the second time I've been wheeled off on a stretcher. So one time I tore my Achilles, and uh, this time I tore my ACL. So these are pretty significant, like, big league injuries that I'm having. And Mariano Rivera thought it was hilarious. He, he laughed and laughed and laughed. And I said, you know what this feels like. And, he, you know, he remembers. Um, but, you know, the difference is he was an athlete in the prime of his career, and I'm me. But, but the thing is, you know, like – Brian, like I got, you don't just write about the 2019 Yankees. You really tried to live the experience of the 2019 Yankees. I really and I your did. Re- your readers get so much value from that, from the perspective you can bring by seeing, okay, so what's it like to be a Yankee and be injured? <laughs> exactly. And I actually, uh, yeah, I spent some time rehabbing alongside some of the players. I did some of my prehab alongside them, so that was pretty cool. I called in a favor <laughs> on that. So anyway, um, the off season. Don't have to go to the stadium every day, which is a blessing and a curse. I love going to the ballpark. It's great when you're a reporter because you know where 25 guys on that team are going to be every day. You know how where Aaron Boone is going to be. You know, for the most part, where Cash is going to be. So if you need to talk to somebody, you can pretty much find them at Yankee Stadium on a game day. The difference is now you're playing phone tag with a lot of guys. You're, you're working your source network. You get to work from home, which is great, especially if you've been uh, laid up recently from surgery. But uh, you don't have that face-to-face interaction until uh, the winter meetings are coming up in San Diego in about three weeks. So until then it's a lot of phone tag a lot of monitoring twitter and the internet and just trying to keep up with what's going on trying to get ahead of it but uh, to be honest with you you're counting the days to to spring training i mean it's cold up here it's kind of nasty outside you're you're thinking man how many days what is about 125 till spring training uh, 125 till opening day you know counting and doing the math in your head and thinking 75 and sunny in tampa sounds pretty good so uh, yeah, the off season's fun for a few weeks, but I'm ready to go right now. What, what's your impression? Do you find that your kids generally enjoy eating dinner with you? <laughs> uh, for the most part, they like climbing on daddy. And um, I have two <laughs> little girls, three and one. So um, they're, they're, it's a hive of activity, put it that way. And um, a, lot of, a lot of Disney Plus on the TV. So it's been either Disney Plus or MLB Network. And uh, it's an ongoing battle um, for the living room TV. So... So what do the hoax do for Thanksgiving? 
Um, you know, we'll have a big thing. At, uh, my wife, Connie, um, she'll cook a little bit. Uh, one of her aunts will host. And so we'll be in New Jersey for that. And um, looking forward to getting some turkey on and all that. But uh, to be honest, we've already got the Christmas music going. Uh, once again, it's the battle. I got to keep flipping it back to MLB Network Radio. And, and then I get in the car and start it up. And it's Holly again. And so, all right, it's fine. But like I said, spring training is coming soon, right? I think. Well, uh, you know, I, th- <laughs> I think uh, most most writers enjoy the off season. It seems a little bit more than you do, and enjoy not thinking about spring training. But hey, you do you, man. Brian, thank you so much for joining us here on the Yankees Magazine podcast. We really love uh, hearing your perspective on the team. Obviously, we look forward to you getting to go back to spring training. I guess and the off season, especially what we saw last year, it, it, it it's hard to kind of get through from one day to another while you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And every sign is that this off season is going to be the same way. But, you know, thankfully we have writers like Brian who are keeping us abreast of what's going on. And of course, you know, we have the Yankees magazine podcast every other week. We're going to keep bringing you different stuff. This week was a little bit of fun. We talked some Thanksgiving stuff, but as we get, you know, closer to spring training, we'll obviously have some more news. We'll have some more things that we can talk about. And we, we definitely look forward to that. In the meantime, please go to yankees.com slash podcast to subscribe, like, rate, review us, do everything you can possibly do to help people find out about us. Yankees.com slash magazine where you can read our long form stuff. You can write to us at podcast at yankees.com. Remember our mailbag-ish episode we're going to have coming up with the two free tickets we're giving away. And follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. We look forward to hearing from you. We hope that you will go out and whether it's Amazon or your local bookstore, an independent bookstore, whatever you want to do, go buy some of Brian's books and you know help him buy some Christmas presents for his two girls. But otherwise, have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll speak to you in two weeks. Hi, this is Jay Happ. For more stories like these, subscribe to Yankees Magazine by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today by visiting yankees.com backslash ballpark app.